first reading is from Genesis 25, verses 19 through to 34, on page 21. The birth of Jacob and Esau. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord heard his prayer and his wife Rebekah conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Second reading is on page 1042, Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but also Rebekah received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For, through, for though her sons had not been born yet, or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. Not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells us, he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have, will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, 
and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he shows mercy to those he wants to, and he hardens those he wants to harden. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay? Or to make from the same lump one piece for pottery for honour and another for dishonour? And what if God, desiring to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath, ready for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory on us, the ones he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? This is the word of the Lord. Right. Thanks, Jacques. Let me ask you if you could ask God uh, one question. What might you ask him? It's a typical question you ask somebody. If you could ask God just one question, what would you ask him? Maybe you'd ask about why he allows suffering. Maybe you'd ask him about all the evil and pain in this world. Maybe you'd ask him about other faiths. Why are there so many faiths and are they all the same? Here's one question I'd like to ask God. Why does he choose some people and not others? Why does God choose to save some people and not other people? It's a very personal question for me. Out of my entire family, why has he chosen me and nobody else? Why does my brother not yet believe? Let's make it even more personal for me. Why did my grandparents, all my grandparents, and my father go to the grave not knowing Jesus? Why have I got friends who I've told the gospel to so many times, and I don't yet believe? And yet other people I know, I've explained the gospel once, and it's like, straight away they believe. How does that happen? I really struggle with it. It's called the doctrine of election. Why does God choose some people and not others? And it's a doctrine of election, the story of Jacob and Esau, isn't it? Romans chapter 9, he says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Romans chapter 9 again, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And we say, God, that's not fair. I don't like it. I don't get it. And this doctrine of God choosing people either makes really angry. I don't like it, God, and you shake your fist at God, or it can make you apathetic. You know, if God chooses people, then why bother? Let's just sit here and God can zap people in his perfect timing. Let's flip it on its head. Instead of being angry with God, instead of saying, I don't like it, God, how about you said, if you're a Christian here tonight, how about you said, Wow, God, you've chosen me? Little me? I I know what I'm like. I know that I'm selfish and I'm proud and I'm arrogant. I know all those things. You still chose me? That's why when I sing songs like, this is amazing grace, I think it is amazing that God would choose me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a a wretch like me. Yes, I am a wretch. See the two sides to God's election? You can get angry about it, or you can be amazed at it. 
We're in the story of Jacob and Esau, and I love these chapters because they're like a Hollywood movie, aren't they? You've got jealousy, you've got envy, you've got fighting, you've got manipulation. It is totally unedifying. It is totally immoral. It's like theological theater, isn't it? You've got Rebecca, who is so together and so composed, and yet underneath she's quite manipulative. And I reckon you'd have Angelina Jolie playing Rebecca in our movie. Isaac, you'd have a kind of an older Sean Connery, you know, he's still got his rugged good looks, a bit of charm. Who would you get to play Esau? The hairy, manly, smelly man. Russell Crowe? A red-headed Russell Crowe? Or maybe you know the guy from The Hangover, the guy with the big beard, maybe him. What about Jacob? Smooth-skinned, manscaped, manicured, metrosexual. I reckon David Beckham in his Hollywood debut, I get to play Jacob. It's this roller coaster story of history repeating itself, dysfunctional families, broken relations, messed up people, manipulative lives. And yet God in his grace and God in his mercy loves them. Do you ever look at the Bible? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were not saints, were they? They were messed up sinners. Loved by a very gracious God. And that's why I love it, because it's me. A messed up sinner loved by a very gracious God. And it's you. A messed up sinner loved by a very gracious God. So in chapter 25 of Genesis, Abraham has died, verse 7. He's 175 years. That's a very good innings, isn't it? Abraham had two sons, didn't he? The first one was called Ishmael. He was the elder son. He was the older son. You got his family tree from verses 12 to verses 18 of chapter 25. But the Bible says that God chose the younger one, Isaac, not the older one, Ishmael. And we say, well, that's okay. You know, Ishmael was kind of illegitimate. Look at verse 19. Uh, these are the family records of Isaac, the legitimate son of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife. Remember that story last week? Abraham insisted his son get married because if he didn't find a wife, there'd be no kids. It would be the end of the promise. And it just so happened that the servant went to the right place and it just so happens that Rebecca turned up at that well at that time. It just so happened she had a water jug on her shoulder. It just so happened that she offered to give the servant a drink and it just so happened that she fed those wretched camels. Remember that from last week? Nothing just so happens, does it? It's God's providence. God in control of all things to bring Isaac and Rebecca together. Uh, but 20 years passed between verse 20 and verse 21. So by the time you read verse 21 of chapter 25, Isaac is now 60 years old. And let's think about it. For 20 years he's been married. And for 20 years they've been childless. And Isaac is there saying, 
But God has promised me descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Rebecca there is there saying, a prophecy was made to me that there would be thousands upon ten thousands from my family. And here we are, childless. It's history repeating itself. But Isaac prays in verse 21. How long do you reckon he prayed for? Of his marriage. Five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. I'm guessing he prayed for every day for twenty years. Longing for a child. Verse 21, the Lord heard his prayer, how gracious God is. Rebecca conceived joy upon joy. But for Rebecca, that joy turns to despair because, verse 22, the children inside her struggled with each other. Literally, that reads, the children smashed themselves inside her. You've got a boxing happening inside the womb. Two babies fighting each other. And Rebecca says, why is this happening? I know I prayed for it. I can't bear it, God. What does God say in verse 23? Verse 23 is the key to our chapter. You've got two children. And both will survive, and both will father nations, but their lives will be separated. Their lives will be characterized by division and fighting and deception, and the older will serve the younger. You see that in verse 23? The older will serve the younger. Let me tell you this about God. God does not do things that we expect him to do. God often turn things on its head, doesn't he? All the benefits and all the blessings will go not to the eldest son, but to the younger son. Because 1 Corinthians, God chooses the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. That's how God works, isn't it? And the fighting that started in the womb continues in the delivery suite. Verse 24, it's time to give birth and They were twins. And the first one comes out looking red and covered with hair. That's how he gets his name, Esau. He's the the red-headed ginger, and I can say that because my son is ginger-haired. I'm not offending people with that. He's a testosterone-driven, strong hunter-gatherer. And this poor mother, Rebecca, she's just given birth to the first child, and the midwife spots a hand coming out. And the second one is right behind him, grabbing the heel, trying to push him out of the way, try to get out first. And and rather than being called Jacobel, which is the normal name, meaning God protects, they call him Jacob, which means heel grabber. And they go through school with those two names, Red and Heel Grabber. And they're poles apart. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became the expert hunter, the outdoorsman, the hairy, rough, Never used deodorant, never showered kind of man. And Jacob is the quiet mummy's boy. Let me ask you, why do you reckon these two boys are different? Is it nature or is it nurture? What does the Bible say? It's both, isn't it? They were born different, but look at verse 28. Isaac loved Esau. He was his favorite. Rebecca loved Jacob. He's the mummy's boy. And then they battle for this birthright. Bizarre story. Verse 29. Esau's been out hunting. He comes home exhausted. Jacob's been at home all day as usual, cooking dinner. Esau comes in and says, I'm famished. Feed me. Feed me now. 
And what does Jacob say, verse 31? First, sell me your birthright. And now surely Jacob's been waiting for this moment for years. How can I grab that birthright? Just so you understand, the birthright means that the firstborn gets double the inheritance. And that belonged to Esau. But Jacob lives up to his name. He is, healing, he is grasping after the heel. Sell me your birthright. Now what do you expect Esau to say? Don't be ridiculous. Get stuffed. I caught my own dinner. I'm not giving you half my inheritance just for a wretched old stew. I know that in four hours' time that stew will be down the toilet. Why would I give it my birthright for something so temporary? That's what you expect, isn't it? Verse 32. Oh, I'm so famished, I'm about to die. If you've got children, that is a common thing. I'm so starving, I'm about to die. <laughs> what good's the birthright? Jacob says, swear to me first. And he sold his birthright. It's staggering. What does he get? Verse 34, a piece of bread and some lentil soup. And you could read this story and you could go, oh, Jacob, he is a deceptive, conniving little git. But Moses doesn't focus on Jacob, does he? The author focuses on Esau. See that in verse 34? Esau despised his birthright. That's how Esau is remembered. He's the man who flippantly gave away something so precious for something so temporary. The man who could not care less about his future and his inheritance and his eternity and he wanted something temporary. Well, the years pass and Esau gets married. Flick over to chapter 26. Esau 26, sorry, Genesis 26, verse 34, when Esau was 40 years, it seems to be a good age to get married. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as his wives, two wives, and two Hittite wives, they're not from the same family, they're not from the same faith. I reckon Esau is kind of the, you know the rebellious son from the good Christian home who goes, you are so narrow, I'm going to rebel completely. Who needs a wife from the same faith? I'll take two wives of different faiths. But then the really famous chapter is chapter 27, the battle for the blessing. Verses 1 to 4, you've got Isaac and Esau, and Isaac is old. His eyes are weak. He's going blind. He's about to die, but instead of calling in the whole family around the bed. He just calls in his favorite son, Esau, and he knows the prophecy. He's heard the prophecy that the older will serve along. He doesn't like that. Isaac decides to do things his way and to ignore God's word. That's always going to end badly. In scene two, you've got Rebecca and Jacob, verses five to 17, and Rebecca is eavesdropping. She's good at that. And she calls Jacob in and says, I've heard it. Your father's about to give the blessing to Esau. Here's the plan. You go out and get two young goats. I'll cook a, a beautiful stew. And Jacob, you're going to pretend to be Esau. Now, Jacob sees the flaws in the plan. Not for moral reasons, because he's just worried he's going to be found out. Well, what's wrong with the plan? Is that Esau is this smelly, hairy hunter-gatherer, and Jacob this smooth, 
manscaped homeboy. You get an insight into how hairy Esau is because Rebecca says, let's get some hairy goatskins and put them on your hand and at the top of your neck. He's the kind of guy where, you know, the, the back hair and the head hair, they, they kind of just meet in the middle. There's no line. Uh, scene three, you've got Jacob and Isaac in verses 18 to 29. And Jacob walks into his dad's room and says, hey, dad. Probably in a high-pitched voice, sort of, hey, dad. And Isaac go, who are you? Oh, I'm your son Esau, your firstborn. Bless me. And, and Isaac goes, wow, that was quick work. Yes, your God worked it out for me. And Isaac may be blind, but he's not stupid. He's got touch, he's got hearing, he's got smell. Are you really Esau? Come here so I can touch you to see whether you're that hairy bear. It's interesting, as you go through the chapter 27, Jacob speaks less and less and less. I guess his voice is the giveaway because a, a tenor can't sing bass, can he? David Beckham could not sound like Jack Nicholson if you paid him. So he goes to his dad and he goes, hmm, the hands are the same, hairy, but are you really Esau? Yes, I am, he says. Come closer. Let me kiss you. But the plan works. Isaac smells the clothes and he says, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of cow dung in a field. And he receives the blessing. Let me just stop at this point. Both Isaac and Jacob are as bad as each other, aren't they? Isaac is trying to give the blessing to the wrong son, ignoring God's word. Jacob is deceitful. He's lying. He's manipulative. Uh, scene 4, verses 30 down to 40, you've got Isaac and Esau. Esau walks in and says, Dad, I'm home. Here's the meal for you. And Isaac says, who are you? I'm your son Esau, he says. And look at verse 33. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. He says, I've been tricked. I've already given the blessing to Jacob. Verse 34, when Esau heard his father's word, he cried out in an anguished, loud, bitter cry. and says, bless me too, Dad. Just one little blessing, please. That wretched brother of mine has done it again. First my birthright, now my blessing. But there's no blessing left. And by the time you get to scene 5 in verse 41, you've got all the characters there. Esau is angry. He hates his brother. He wants to kill his brother but he wants to wait until Isaac dies. Rebecca's eavesdropping again, verse 42. She's good at that. She hears the plot to kill Jacob. She says, here's the plan. I reckon if I was Rebecca's son, when she said, here's the plan, I'd go, no, not again, mum. A great plan. Let's send you away to Laban's house, just for a few days. Do you know how long Jacob was away for? It wasn't 21 days, it was 21 years. Rebecca never saw him again. Rebecca never saw her grandchildren. But Rebecca works her magic on her husband and says, darling, I think it's time for Jacob to find a wife and I'm sick of those awful wives of Esau. I don't like them. Why don't we send Jacob off to Laban's house and he can meet a woman of our own faith? And Great idea. And Esau, in chapter 28, 
he hears and notices that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to find the right wife. So he marries again. Who does he choose? We're going to 28, verse 7. Verse 8, rather. Esau realized his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women. So Esau went to Ishmael and married other wives. Isn't that deeply ironic? That Esau, the eldest son of Isaac, who is not chosen, marries the daughter of Ishmael, the oldest son of Abraham, who is also not chosen. So you've got not chosen, marries not chosen, and the whole family is called not chosen. And that's what happens to Esau. He becomes a nation called Edom. You ever heard of the Edomites? They hated God's people. When God's people wandered through the wilderness, they avoided Edom because they were hated so much. Who's the most famous Edomite in the Bible? From the line of Esau is King Herod, who tried to murder the Messiah. This is a crazy story of deceit, betrayal, fighting, factions, manipulation, jealousy, and nobody looks good. Isaac looks bad, Rebecca looks bad, Esau looks bad, and Jacob looks bad. And you read the story and you go, they're a bunch of messed up losers. Is there no one who's righteous? How would you answer that question? Is there, is there anyone righteous? What does the Bible say? No. No one's righteous, not even one. So what do you do with this story? Three great truths about God. Here's the first one, God's election. God does choose people. Romans chapter 9 tells us that. He loved Jacob. He hated Esau. Why, why did God choose Jacob? So, so when did God choose Jacob? This is important. When did God choose Jacob? When he was in the, in the womb. What had Jacob done at that point? What good works had he done? What amazing things he's done in life. Nothing. And it's not as though God saw in Jacob uh, what he was going to be. God just chose him in the womb. That's what God's election is. And I know that we don't like it, but the Bible offers no apology for it. We can't raise our fist at God and say, I don't like it. God would say, well, who are you? Who are you to talk back to God? Who are you to tell the potter what to do with the clay? I have every right to do what I want in my world. Because you're just creatures and I'm the creator. So God's election, I know it's a hard truth, but it's a biblical truth. I know it doesn't answer our question of why Jacob and not Esau, but we should be asking why Jacob at all? Because God often chooses people that we least expect. Actually, when you read the Jacob and Esau story, Jacob is worse than Esau, isn't he? That's God's election. It's crazy. Jesus chose the poor, the widow, the stranger, the alien, the younger son, the sinner, the prostitute, the tax collector. God chooses those people who have nothing to hold out. It's all about his mercy. That's the first thing, God's election. The second truth is God's warning, because in the Bible, Esau is held up as a warning to us. Esau is held up in terms of our human responsibility. 
He is the older brother who stupidly threw away his inheritance. He is the older brother who refused to go to the banquet. Look at Hebrews 12 on the screen. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Though he sought it with tears. It's, it's a warning to us. Hebrews written to Jewish Christians who are in danger of throwing it all away, throwing away their faith. And Esau is like that, the son who had everything. He had the Christian home, he had the inheritance, and he threw it all away. What for? A bowl of stew. And you know, there are Christians or people who claim to be Christians. I, I can't judge their heart. Who give away their faith. What for? A temporary, fleeting, ungodly relationship? Money that never satisfies? Popularity which is fickle, the stuff of the world that is temporary and fading and fleeting. That's the warning from Esau. Don't throw it away for temporary things that never satisfy. But the big theme of this chapter is God's grace, isn't it? If I gave you a pen and paper and say, write down some words to describe Jacob, what would you write? I wrote this. Cool, calculating, cheat, scheming scoundrel, ambitious opportunist, lying rascal, self-seeking, self-serving, heartless, horrible, and then a swear word. And there's another word as well. Chosen, loved by a gracious God. There was nothing good about him, nothing worthy in him, but God chose him. And if you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, that's you, isn't it? I'm not calling you cool, calculating, callous, scheming, selfish, but perhaps you are. Because bits of me are. So the question is not how could God choose one and not the other, it's how could God choose either of them? And when you understand grace, isn't that the question, how could God choose me? Because Jacob's scheming and ambitions and lies and deceit and self-seeking, they were all laid on the shoulders of one man called Jesus, and so was mine and so was yours. Isn't that the mark of somebody who understands God's grace? If you're here tonight and you really grasp grace, you've got a right view of yourself, haven't you? You're not Mr. Wonderful. You're not Miss Perfect. You're a messed up sinner, loved by an extraordinary, gracious God. Remember the story of the Duke of Wellington in church with a, a poor, illiterate farmer? The Duke of Wellington in the UK who had everything. He was worth everything. And he knelt next to a poor, illiterate farmer at the communion rail. And as they walked up together, the, the farmer said to the Duke of Wellington, I'm sorry, I don't deserve to kneel next to you. And the Duke of Wellington said, do you not understand grace? In God's eyes, we're totally equal. 
I'm a sinner saved by grace and so are you. You might be here tonight and you think that you're this messed up, selfish, arrogant, proud swear word who God could not possibly love. If that is you tonight, look at the cross of Christ. Look at Jesus dying for you because he's done it for you. He paid it all. You might be here tonight going, I'm a somebody. I'm important. When you look at the cross, you realize you're not. You're just a messed up sinner loved by a very gracious God. And that's when I sing, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. You know, I can't help but sing that with just feeling like, yeah, there's me. And that is you. You're saved by grace and grace alone. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for these stories in the scriptures which are just full of messed up, selfish, stupid people. And yet, somehow you choose to love them and you choose to work through them. Lord, show us what we're really like and then first again to the, onto our knees at the foot of the cross and remind us of your grace that's undeserved. Remind us of your mercy that we can't explain. And Lord, we acknowledge that our, our heads don't get and don't like the idea that you choose, but you are God. And who are we, the clay, to talk back to the potter? Help us, Lord, to humbly just say, why me? Your grace is amazing, Lord.